Hello and welcome back to the Drew Brina Show. We are a counseling intern and nurse growing with therapeutic tools for a holistic life and marriage. Welcome back, everyone. Yeah, sorry it's not on Monday, but happy Wednesday, hump day. Wednesdays are always when we have what's called midweek, and we get to spend time with people over a meal from our people from our church. So I love Wednesdays. It's a great day. Yeah, and it gives us kind of a break uh, where we where I don't have to work, and we uh, have a little bit more time to hang out and decompress at home before midweek. So it's nice. And so we're using that time today to record the podcast from last weekend. Yeah. This week was filled with so much that I really enjoyed. Um, This last Saturday, I signed up with some friends um, to do this thing called an ocean sanctuary count. And it's basically when you, you... volunteer and you sit on the shore and you watch for behaviors of whales so like uh blows and breaching and flaps and things like that and i did it with my friends and we woke up really early and we went to a spot over on the north shore that i had never been to and you can see so many whales and it was really cold and windy and rainy and um we just sat in the car a little bit, a little bit of it. Some of it, some of it, we were outside, but we sat in the car and like looked out the windshield and watched the whales, and it was really fun. It was like four hours long, and we got along so well, and we had so much fun, and like we're joking around and stuff, and we each brought something for lunch. It was just a really good time. How many did y'all see total? So total whales, I don't know because you can't see them individually to see how many you saw from the shore. But I took a picture of the count itself. And uh, between the hours of 9.30 and 10, we saw 28 blows. And that's probably from different whales. Or not all twenty, like different twenty-eight whales, but like some from the same whales. And then we saw seventeen breaches, which is so many. It is whale season in Hawaii, though. For the humpback whales, they came. They came oh, a couple months ago. A lot of them migrate here, and then they have their babies and they mate and everything. So it's not unheard of to see this many whales at this time. But I've just never seen this many whales. So. It's it was pretty epic to me. Nice, yeah. Only in Hawaii do you just go to. Well, not only, literally, but only in Hawaii can you just drive up there from the shore and just see dozens of whales straight from your car. Yeah, straight from my car. Literally, it was really it was really cool. I would like to sign up for it again. They do it three times a month or three separate months. So they'll do another one this month on the twenty eighth, and then another one in March before they. Go away, the whales. Sad times. Yeah. And then I don't think we talked about this on the podcast last week, but I mean, we, we alluded to it, but on the 20, what was that? The 22nd, I think we went to the Eddie comp surfing competition. Oh yeah. We didn't talk about that. We yet didn't recap pod. it. So you want to recap it a little bit? Yeah. So the Eddie is a big wave surf tournament 
or invitational. So you had invite only, and there's a bunch of pro and amateur surfers there. Um, and basically, yeah, the difference between this competition and others is it's all based on the conditions that create giant waves, like waves between, you know, like 20 and 60 feet, like massive. And so the last time they had the eddy was in 2016. Is that right? Yep. And so it's been six years. So it's not like it's an every year thing. And so there were like 7,000 people crammed into this small little bay uh, up on the North Shore of Oahu. And so many people, we had to get up at like 3.30. Yep. We caught a bus um, in town that drove us up there. We had to be there by 4 a.m., the bus that is, and then the bus took us up there. And we got there when it was still dark out, and it was already so crowded, and everybody's like so tired. Probably people who had stayed up all night, but then also people who had to get up super early. But Sabrina like just jumped in the crowd and uh yeah pushed my way past and everybody pushed her way past everyone we got like some a really good spot on the beach i mean we were maybe like 10 to 15 feet max like behind the barrier right on the beach and so we were super close yeah and there was rounds and heats and so we stayed for two rounds they were really long each they were like two to three hours each I felt like almost and we got to see huge big wave uh competitors like uh what's his name Kelly Slater yeah Kelly Slater was there no he wasn't there he was an alternate like he was there he was an alternate yeah but he didn't compete oh I guess I didn't know that okay but anyways the person who ended up winning they announced at like 5 p.m. and we got home at like 4 p.m. It took three hours to get home on the bus. It was so chaotic. Um, and uh, the guy who won was, is actually a lifeguard on the North Shore. So this is in memorial of a man who saved like 500 people on Wamea Bay, which if you don't know anything about Wamea he Bay. He was a lifeguard. Yeah. It's like a bay that has like the biggest waves. Obviously, this is where the competition was. And it's a lot of people die and a lot of people just have a hard time swimming in this bay because it just makes monstrous waves. So anyways, a lifeguard that used to be the first, he was the first lifeguard on the North Shore. It was a memorial of him and a lifeguard won it this year, which is so cool. And he was like an alternative at one point and he won it and nobody knows his name really. Yeah. So it was kind of cool. It was like a continuation of the legacy of like the local lifeguards and what they mean you know this this other lifeguard years and years later winning the tournament um was just a cool continuation of the legacy and really i think honored yeah the man whom the tournament's named after and he was on his break on his lunch break when he like competed and then came back and became the lifeguard (sighs) again on his after his break it's really cool and the competition itself i know we talked about getting there and who won and everything but it's pretty surreal being there in person like they're catching some massive waves 60 foot wave yeah and so you just you see their silhouettes way out there dropping in on these huge waves carving down and then they're so big that there's so much white water whenever the waves break yeah that it like kind of forms a cloud around them 
And so there's always this like 50-50 chance of whether that whitewater cloud is going to swallow them up or if they're just going to emerge out of it. Huh. And so it was like they'd drop in, surf down, the whitewater would break and they would get kind of caught up in it. And then the crowd would kind of be waiting in suspense. And then the surfer would pop out of the whitewater still on his feet and everything. like, yeah. Oh, that was the best part of the whole competition. It's like, it's like when someone's like walking away in a movie, walking away from a exploding building and not looking at it. Yeah, and then they like come out of boss it. Level, yes, you know, thug life moment. It was epic, honestly. And we were so close that the waves would break, and Moimei Bay also like kind of dips down. So when the waves would break, it'd be caught by the sand a little bit. But these waves were so massive that they came up and over this hill and into where the crowd was. So we'd have to pick up all of our stuff so we hmm. wouldn't get all wet, and then sit back down after the wave had left. So it was awesome. Yeah, it was intense. Yeah, it was like a once in a lifetime com- uh life once in a lifetime opportunity and a lot of people don't get to come that are tourists because you have to have known that it's going to be that weekend like and it's only days in advance cuz the conditions have to be right. So you have to already have been here, you know, or live here in order to go. So, it's it was really really cool. Yeah. Um another cool thing I did this week was I got my first like dermatologist I don't know how to say it, like a intense facial. I got, excuse me, a microneedling facial from actually the job that I just got. So that's exciting. And the microneedling was really interesting. It is just like it says, like in the word, it says microneedling. So it's just like little punctures in the, in the skin and it's creating a wound on your skin. So then it, then it returns the collagen quicker and repairs the your face quicker to make like to cover over scars or lines or wrinkles or whatever so um i'm like a week out from when i got it and my face looks pretty good so far i'm taking photos every day to see if i see any changes so we'll see it's always cool like seeing the progress physically because it's hard to tell if you don't have a before and after you know yeah and this new job is supposedly supposed to give you like four treatments a a month so hopefully it can continue the treatments of microneedling on my face to help with all the scarring I have. Um, yeah, that's my week recap. We nice. did a lot this last week and a half. Yeah. And then also a uh, announcement. Um, as you know, this month, February, is the month of love. And February 14th is Valentine's Day. And so on February 13th, we kick off our uh, single marriage and dating, well, actually, I missed one in there, <laughs> single dating engaged married series. Yes. And so we're just going to have, you know, authentic conversations about relationships, uh, about our relationship, about others' relationships, about what the Bible says, and really just like unpack that and provide really some practical wisdom Mm -hmm. on the progression of singleness to marriage because there's a lot in the bible on marriage but there's really nothing on dating because as a concept it didn't really exist at the time but there is some universal wisdom in the bible and just in science and literature and everything that um, can provide a framework 
um, for yeah. dating, engagement, I, and marriage. Yeah, I'm really excited about it because I actually said today on Instagram, my Instagram on um, at Sabrina Day and Larson on Instagram. Shout out to me. Um, I posted today that I'd really like to make February a month to give resources for those who are single, dating, engaged, and married because I feel like I've read a lot of books and I've gotten a lot of wisdom around these topics as we've gone into marriage. And so I just want to freely give them so people have these resources that they may not otherwise know have known about um, and just be a resource to ourselves with the podcast. So I'm really excited about this series. I've already asked on Instagram people's like wisdom that they would give people in these seasons. And I've gotten a lot of feedback. So I'm excited to read those out loud on the podcast. So send them in, you guys. Yeah, it'll be real juicy. Yep. Even if you feel like you have just like a tad bit of wisdom, like no problem. Just send it in. We want to hear it. And maybe you'll hear your wisdom on the pod. So. Hey. Cool. For now, we're going to continue our cognitive distortion series. Um, we, I think this is one, this is the first of the last three of the series, but we're going to take a short break to do the, uh, the dating series. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. So these cognitive distortions we're talking about this week are emotional reasoning, fallacy of change, and shoulds. So, um, Drew and I have broken these up so that we will each have researched them thoroughly. So I took two and he took one this week just because he's got a lot going on. So I'm doing emotional reasoning. And of course, he's got, you know, he's got ideas about these as well. So Drew will input as we go. Um, okay. So emotional reasoning is the, in quotes, like, if I feel it, it must be true. Um, or being strongly influenced by your emotions that you assume that they indicate objective truth. Whatever you feel is true without any conditions and without any need for supporting facts or evidence. So basically the thought that feelings are facts. Yeah. So, um, Drew, do you have any say, anything like you'd like to add about emotional reasoning as like a definition? Yeah, I mean, it's not to, some people take this fallacy and run with it and say like, oh, ignore your feelings, don't listen to your feelings, block oh, out yeah. your feelings, which that's completely unhealthy too. It's just that feelings aren't the best guider of our thinking, mm -hmm. you know, typically uh, rationale, perspective, wisdom, uh, having, you know, a calm evaluation of the situation. Is typically a better way to evaluate something. And you incorporate your feelings in there as well. But the feelings really, when they're in the driver's seat, um, they tend to polarize uh, what you're feeling. You know, I'm not good enough. This person's terrible. If only they would just do this, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So as we know, as we just talked about, feelings aren't facts. Some things need to be felt, but some. So everything needs to be well I, let me pre, let me rephrase, rephrase that like drew said emotions are important and they're so indicative of what we're feeling obviously that's 
what emotions are. But so it's good to think about them, resonate with them, write them down, um, break it down, talk about them uh, with other people, talk to yourself, like writing them, journaling, that kind of thing. But ultimately, in order to make a decision, we shouldn't be making our decisions out of those feelings. Because if we're making decisions out of the feelings, then we're most likely going to make the wrong decision. Or we're going to make a decision that is feelings-driven. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like it's going to be, um, it's going to be impulsive and not thought through, right? Would you say? Yeah, because you can't really appraise the situation accurately and you can't really and when you're hyper emotional or caught up in emotion you can't really foresee the consequences of whatever reasoning or action that you know that you use based on the reasoning and sometimes you can get yourself in trouble just focus just doing everything based on emotion and feeling you know plus sometimes the body's systems of like the the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system can be out of tune. And some people are more easily triggered by things than others. Like some people see a subtle Mm -hmm. facial expression on somebody and it just like sends a wave of just like shock and terror through them. Um, And if they make all their decisions based on that, like they're going to be in survival mode constantly. And so you have to be aware of those physiological systems because sometimes they're out of tune and you know, something that's out of tune. We don't want that to lead our decision-making. So that leads me into my next subtopic of emotional reasoning, that there are types of emotional experiences. They're subjective, physiological, and behavioral and or expressive emotions. So subjective, some may take death very hard and feel like complex emotion of anger, and some might not be affected as much or feel sad. That's like an example of what subjective would be. So, you know, it it's subjective to the subject, right? It's it's what the person feels when they get into a situation that's only their response, what they're going to feel. Like you and I may respond very differently to a situation of death, you know? Um, and, and so that's, and one or the other is not wrong, but it's definitely, um, I do get caught up too in this thought process when, when we're talking about subjective uh, responses, that it's easy to be like, oh, that person's way more sensitive or that person's reacting to this too strongly and they shouldn't because maybe you've been through death before and you're watching someone else go through death and you're just like, oh, they're responding so much differently than I did. Like I got over it so quickly. Like it's just their grandpa or like they were close to them, but they knew they were going to die. They had dementia. Like my grandpa had dementia and he died and I was fine. Like we put them side by side of our subjective emotional uh, responses and we put them side by side and we compare them to other people's and then we decide whether or not they're valid or not. Right. Cause everybody has a different emotional compa- capacity. And then also if you're thinking of what, how someone should or shouldn't feel like it's ac- it's that among like, you know, projecting your standard of what things should be is also a lack of empathy like yeah it's showing a huge lack of empathy when you're like oh you shouldn't feel this, feel way. this way 
you know. Um, or you're feeling it too big or you're yeah. feeling it too small. Yeah. And that doesn't help. Like, it's not helpful. Even if it is true, if someone, if you feel, if someone actually is overreacting, like, yeah. It's still not helpful to tell somebody that you're overreacting. Yeah. Like, eventually, you know, maybe once they've felt it, like, they can, you know, look back at the situation with a different perspective and come to that conclusion on their own. But typically, like, emotions and feelings don't react well to being shut down they just you know and because you just storm inside and then you don't learn how to deal with them and then you feel like you're too much and uh you kind of your emotional growth and emotional intelligence kind of gets stunted and then it usually just comes out either as like feeling angry all the time you know feeling sad all the time or just feeling nothing all the time that's those are typically the consequences of you know n- completely neglecting your emotions. So emotional reasoning isn't to say like don't factor in your emotions when you're making a decision. It's saying that don't only factor in your emotions when you're you know engaging in your reasoning process. Factor in not only your emotions but also the context, the situation, culture, personalities, family of origin, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, sounds like a lot of work and it's kind of long and drawn out at first, but the brain is cool and over time you can start to think critically about situations at like a subconscious level if you practice questioning your thinking. Yeah, that's good. Um, so the second the, one. Yeah, the next one. Oh, I'm not done. Sorry. Oh, sorry. There's so much more to what I had. The other types of emotional experiences, physiological, like you were just talking about a little bit ago, like the an- an- autonomic, autonomic nervous system responses, fight or flight response, like feeling our heartbeat quickly, anger, hot face, um, some you can't even put a finger on, you know, like something just happens in your body and you're just like, I'm having some kind of trigger and I don't know why or what. Um, yeah, I found out there's a word for that. What is it? So when you're not in touch of with what's happening in your body and why, and you don't know why it's happening, it's called alexithymia. Whoa. Yeah, it's a thing. Alexia. Alexithymia. Alexithymia. Yeah. What's the different definition of that? Um, like if you were to look it up, yeah, I don't know. Let's look it up. The other one that kind of goes hand in hand is behavioral, like expressing your emotions. And it's actually, it, it was talking about in this study that it's actually better to express your emotions than it is to hold it in, like smiling, laughing, getting angry, not saying like you should be get, you should lash out at the person if you're angry, but it's actually better to express what you're feeling than it is to hold it. Yeah. So I looked up the definition. Alexithymia is a personality trait characterized by the inability to identify and describe emotions experienced by oneself. It's just like you feel the sensation, but you don't know how to explain what it is and you don't know where it's coming from. There needed to be a word for that and I'm glad we found it. And it's not a mental disorder or anything like that. It's just a word to explain that phenomenon yeah. of like, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know how to describe it. You just know it's there. Yeah. And it's the inability. It's not like, it's not like someone who's like feeling something and they're not willing to go there. That's a different thing. Cause it's like, right. Cause that's, that's different. That's like a, that's called um, 
suppression. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's where you're suppressing mm-hmm. those emotions yourself to not deal with them. That's different. Alexithymia is where, like, you're kind of unable. But, I mean, it's it's treatable. You can practice different uh, different things, usually, like, free association. EMDR helps with alexithymia. Also, yoga is another way to, um, to help with alexithymia because you're get getting in touch, touch with, with your body. With your body. Yeah. yeah, and you're spending time inhabiting your own body and being curious That's about what you're huge. feeling. I think a part of emotional reasoning is being able to identify, like, even if it's to look at a chart, you know, an emotional pinwheel or something, it's to identify the emotion and go find where the root is, even if it's not in that moment, but later on you're like, why did I feel that? And then sitting down and like writing it out or thinking about it, that has taken down my emotional reasoning by so like half, I feel like, is I'm not reacting out of my emotions far as much as I used to because I actually am in tune with what my body's feeling and thinking and where, where my triggers are and I've written them down and I've thought about them and I've I've talked to therapists again and again and friends about them. So I'm like very aware of what my body is feeling more than I've ever been able to do. And I think that's huge with emotional reason because then you can pinpoint it right away and be like, I felt that before and I've reacted a different way before and I don't have to react the same way this time. Unfortunately, sometimes our body still reacts the same way, but there is a way to get out of the cycle of continuing to react out of the emotion. Yep. There is a way, I promise. Some people out there are like, yeah, right. I'm just, I get angry and that's that. And it's like, no, I hear you, me too. But there is a way to help stop it in its tracks. And it's not going to be perfect every time, but there's a way to do it. Um, so that What's leads the me, way? yeah, that leads me to getting unstuck. Uh, mm. So mindfulness and awareness that this event isn't linked to all the others. These are isolated events. So a lot of times what happens is we, we have this emotion. We think that it's like a certain other time we've already experienced. Like, let's say, okay, let's say this is a real experience for me. I look at our bank account and if I see like little to nothing in it, it triggers something in me of like, we won't have, we don't have enough. We won't be able to pay our bills. We won't be able to buy food, X, Y, and Z. So it triggers something in me. And it makes me feel the same thing as if I was in a situation where, because this has happened, being in a situation where we can't pay our rent or can't get this or that, that are necessities. So it triggers me to feel as if I'm right there in that same dilemma I had once been in. But this is saying, yeah, having mindfulness and awareness that these events are all very separate. They're not all one thing. And yes, there is patterns. It is good to see that there is a pattern that financial instability has been a pattern, but not to stay stuck in the patterns. Um, Also not identifying with emotion, not saying I'm anxious, but instead saying I'm aware I'm feeling anxious about my bank account. You know, That's, that's huge. Yeah. Not, not making it your, you, your identity. Right. You're saying, I'm just feeling, I'm feeling this. this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm aware that I'm feeling this. Right. And that's yeah. true for anything. Like, yeah. if, if somebody is like depressed or something like that, it's yeah. like, no, like you're a person who experiences right. depression. Yep. You know? Um, yeah. Or like, like, oh, I'm suicidal. Yeah. It's like, no. you know, you're a, a person battling suicidal thoughts. Yes. You know? Yes. 
Uh, and then the other one is we don't have to respond or give your thoughts so much weight saying just because I feel this way doesn't mean it's true. I say that a lot to myself or I, I, I used to, I'm not as good as, as I was, I'd like to continue doing this, but yeah, just because I feel this way doesn't mean that it's true, you know, and then making a list what's true and what's not true about the situation you're in. Like, okay, yes, it's true that we don't have very much money in our bank account, but it's what's not true is that I won't be provided for just like continuously making that almost like a pros and cons list, but a what's true and what's not true list. Yep. Um, and then also lastly, I just like to say all emotions are okay, but not all behavior is okay. So not saying like, I'm basically, I'm saying like your anger is okay, but what you do with it is most important. Mm -hmm. Like if you're lashing out at people out of your anger, then no, that that's not okay. But the, but the emotion of being angry, it actually, I don't think we need to, I've been listening to the book, the voice of the heart, the voice of the heart by Chip Dodd. And he basically states that he doesn't believe anger should be a, should be like categorized as like a bad thing anymore. Like anger has made so many people do so many great things. MLK was angry and yeah. look at what he did, right. you know? And like so many others like him were so angry and passionate about something in the world and they changed the whole world because of their anger. And right. so it's what you do out of your emotion that counts. Yeah. And it's like, it's how you manage your anger, right? Right. Um, and like anger is a righteous response, you know? Uh, yeah. Like it's not There's saying hold anger. on to resentment, yeah. hold on to grudges, right. uh, be enraged all the time. Like right. it's like any other emotion taken to an excess. It can be very destructive um, and it could be chaotic. But the Bible doesn't say like anger is bad. Thou shalt not be angry. It says in your anger, do not sin. Right. So, like, exactly. anger is, uh, it's natural, yep. you know, uh, but it's something that you need to see what it's telling you. You need to yep. see if it's worth listening to, if, or if it's worth transcending, transcending into motivation. Yep. Now, resentment, obviously, let it go. Forgive the person. Wish well for the person that you're resentful toward. Rage, look at it. See what's triggering you. Identify those triggers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I have some strategies that help calm you down. Maybe take a break for twenty minutes. Let the brain reset. Yeah, and so. Um, but in general, anger is just anger. It's not good or bad. Yep. You know, um, and it can serve a purpose. A righteous anger can serve a purpose. Agreed. So I think the second one, we can move on. I've said all I need to say. <laughs> um, so the next cognitive distortion that we're talking about today is the fallacy of change. And the fallacy of change is when we believe that others must change in order for ourselves to be happy. So instead of like, oh, how can I change myself and my life in order to be happier? It's like, if only everyone around me would do this and see me this way and do this, then I'd be happy. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that right. is a recipe for... Disaster. Yeah, total dissatisfaction. Yeah. Because 
you'll just be frustrated all the time because the reality is we can't change things. And we correlate change with happiness a lot of the time. Oh, if this were different, I would be happier. And so when you fall victim to the fallacy of change, your focus shifts away from improving yourself and it shifts on to forcing others to change to support your happiness. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not other people's roles in our life. People don't right. exist to be agents of our happiness. Like our joy and our satisfaction and our peace and our relationship with God and our sense of meaning is our responsibility. Sure, other people can be conduits of love and meaning and happiness, but that's not their sole purpose. Uh, Their sole purpose is not to treat us the way that (laughs) we want them to, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Also, it's going to make your joy and your life satisfaction very conditional. It It can change, you know, at the flip of a coin. Right. Because if somebody does something to harm you and your whole sense of self or satisfaction is based on how others treat you, yeah, you're going to be upset most of the time. Yeah. You know, and you're not going to find sustainable joy yeah. uh, because it's always resting on factors that are outside of your control, i.e. other people's behavior. Um, and also, and this is kind of a sidebar, it's like, we're not that much better, if at all. We're not better at all than other people. We like we see others people, other people's behavior, and it annoys us. And we think, oh, if only they were more like us. Like, not true. Like, we're just as annoying. We're just as inconsiderate. Maybe not in the same ways, but we do contribute to. Um, we do contribute to other people's, you know, dissatisfaction with life. Whether we, yeah. Whether we admit it or not, we do contribute um, to the struggles of other people. Um, So the way to overcome this um, is to realize that our joy and our sense of meaning in life does not depend on other people. We are responsible for our own joy. Let me repeat that again. Mm -hmm. We are responsible for our own joy. It's an inside job, meaning. It's it's an internal thing. Mm-hmm. It's not based on external forces like other people, right? Yeah. And even if other people give you what you want or they meet all your expectations, whether spoken or unspoken, it'll only create a temporary sense of satisfaction. And you'll just be tossed in the waves and you'll be at the mercy of how other people treat you and yeah. what they say to you and what they don't say to you. Yeah. Um, and that is just... A really good way to be jerked around and mm-hmm. <laughs> not have, you know, a good sense of uh, of deep joy inside. So, yep. the way to overcome it, other people aren't responsible for your happiness. You are. Yep. If you are unhappy, if you're if you lost your joy, that's okay. We're not condemning you. It happens. There's seasons of that. Mm-hmm. However, it's going to start with you to you know go through that grieving process get that mentor go to that counselor um do that exercise get that sleep yeah um 
make that amends, tell that person how you feel, et cetera, et cetera. So it always starts with us. Yeah. Where would you say in your own life you've, you've dealt with this? Um, I think like early in marriage, like there was a lot of like, oh, if only Sabrina would do this, then our relationship would be happy and healthy. You know, and granted, there's things that both of us do that either positively or negatively contribute yeah. to the, you know, well-being of our relationship. But if I put all the pressure on her to change, like, I'm going to be, you know, um, one, I'm not going to look at myself and the ways that I can change and I'll neglect future opportunities for growth to improve as a husband. Um, and two, it's going to put an enormous amount of pressure on her. Mm. Um, you know, and three, I'm just going to be unhappy all the time because I'm going to be going around being the, you know, relationship police, Hmm. like with all these unspoken, ambiguously developed Hmm. laws and regulations (laughs) that I have for how I think the marriage should be. And it's like, it's like, no, like it's more of a loss than a law. Sabrina must do all the dishes every time she (laughs) cooks. Sabrina must pretend she does not poop so that Drew doesn't have to smell it. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Last one is shoulds. So you uh, holds tight to personal rules of behavior, judges self and others if rules are broken. So it kind of reminded me, my first note was it kind of reminded me of fallacy of fairness. Uh, we think things should go this way, should go that way. That's one angle to take it. The other angle is condemning and shaming ourselves. I should go to the gym today. I should have made the bed today. I should have taken Zealous to the park. I should have not slept in as long as I did today. Those kind of things. And a lot of times that should word is turned into a shame word. Mm-hmm. So I really think should is actually should be labeled as a shame word. Uh yeah. because whenever it's used in that context, whenever we say should, it's pretty much shaming yourself. Yeah, it's saying I'm not enough yeah. unless I do this right. or you're not enough if you unless don't. you do this. Exactly. Now, granted like we can look back, you know, and retrospectively be like it may have improved my day or it may have improved my wellness if I went to the gym or if I got that work done but saying oh I should have yeah it's like it's one it's starting with a lack of acceptance it's taking you out of where you actually are yeah and saying like oh I shouldn't be here right yep. and there's that should word again yep. and so it prevents you from ever finding a starting point to change yeah because you're never accepting where you actually are you're always thinking you should be somewhere else it also it also reminds me of black and white thinking yeah like it really puts things in categories of not this or that yeah like i didn't do the dishes so i'm bad <laughs> or i did mm-hmm. cook dinner tonight so i'm good yeah you know um, and it's very pressuring. It puts so much pressure on yourself. Right, right. I should have done this. I should have done that. Like that's yeah. that's so pressured. Right. Um, instead, using words like "I would like to," mm-hmm. "I think I'd like to," "It would be nice if I," "I'm going to do my best to," 
if I have time, I'd like to. So it's like almost kind of putting boundaries up for yourself. Like if I have time, I will make the bed today. Or if I have time, I'll take Zealous to the park instead of shaming myself. Oh, I, that was my New Year's resolution, taking Zealous to the park, and I didn't do it today. Like, I'm a bad dog mom. It's I like, failed. I, sh- I should stop saying should, really. That's what I should be doing, <laughs> should, should, shouldn't should, I? Should. So Shan't you? That's, the, that's what the we title of this- We should just go back to saying shan't. You- <laughs> that's the solution. Please use shan't in a-, in a uh, Phrase, please, in a sentence. I shan't have considered the melodious quandaries of thine other meridian. That was a good 19th century should, but can you use it in a modern day shan't? It means shall not. I shan't leave work before the time is over. I don't know. (laughs) Yes, we should name this podcast Shant. Um, okay, these are a few quotes from different uh, resources that I used while researching. So we'll, we will start, cite our resources. One of them was, a should statement is a type of negative thinking that can cause feelings of doubt and fear in a person. These types of statements are a form of cognitive distortion and they can create a binary set of conditions or options and a person's person's perception that can be unhealthy. So again, kind of like what I was saying, like it's such a shame word and it causes so much feelings of doubt and fear in the person like... You know, if I don't cook dinner, if I should, I should have cooked dinner tonight. Like that fear of like, I'm not a nutritious person. Like I say I am. Mm-hmm. I'm not go- a good girl, like a good wife. Cause I don't make dinner. You know, it's like putting all this weird fear and doubt in your head. Yeah. Um, another one is should statements. Thoughts that include should, ought, or must are almost always related to a cognitive distortion. For example, I should have arrived to the meeting earlier, or I should lose weight to be more attractive, or I must lose weight to be more attractive. This type of thinking may induce feelings of guilt and shame. Same thing as what we were talking Mm. about. And then some tips can include, uh, for combating shoulds, is including, is it includes writing down and reducing the unnegotiable tasks of the day. So, like, things that you wouldn't just say, I should have done this at the end of the day. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, all right, I have to do dishes today, take Zealous to the bath, like, take, give Zealous a bath and wash our sheets. Those are, like, non-negotiable because I've put them off way too long. And then that way, at the end of the day, you're not always like, I should have, I should have, I should have. And then anything else. Is, like, just cherry on the top. Yeah, yeah, cherry on the top. Or, like, you schedule your day around those those things. things. Yeah. Making sure you fit something in the day that you want to do rather than you should do or must do. Also look at how realistic those shoulds are and must statements are. Um, so yeah, just just be aware of how much you're using the word should, you know? See what that's making you feel when you're using the word should. All right, so those were our three cognitive cognitive <laughs> distortions this week. Um, yeah. Also, like Drew was saying, we are going to start a dating, engagement, and marriage 
series here pretty soon. Uh, so on my Instagram at Sabrina Dayan, D-A-Y-A-N Larson, L-A-R-S-O-N, I today actually posted some tools uh, for sexuality. Um, I posted stuff about Julie Slattery and her books and her podcast. And just like I said before, I'm going to put resources. Tools about sex, not like yeah. sexuality. Like Yeah, no sexuality too. Rethinking okay. sexuality, the book. Okay. I, so I guess I just like think, sexuality, for whatever reason, we've twisted that into like sexual orientation. But well, I think she talks about that in Rethinking Sexuality. But oh, okay. anyways, just I'm just saying basically I'm putting resources up for the topic of relationships in general this month. And that's what I put up today was Julie Slattery's books and podcasts because she's been a great resource for me and you have listened to some of her podcasts as well. Cool. We both read Rethinking Sexuality, the book. So Mm -hmm. anyways, I'm going to continue. I have so many more like uh, Sacred Marriage, the book. I'll talk about that. Ben Stewart's podcast that we've listened to in the past. Meaning of Marriage. So I have a lot that I will be sharing this February. For Heart Month, Love Month, yeah, I'll yep. get some of Drew's too, because uh, I know most of the time you just see my face on Instagram. But I'll get some of his recommendations too. You have anything else to say on the podcast, Drew? Um, well, um, yeah. So, yes, yeah, self-reflection questions. Oh yeah, self-reflection question. Yeah. So. Yeah, self-reflection questions will be the same as they've been for the Cognitive Distortion series. So think of some ways that you engage in emotional reasoning and use some of the tools to evaluate the situation from all angles so that you can have integrated reasoning and you can have critical thinking instead of being an emotional critic. So that's some of the question to ask yourself is, how am I engaging in emotional reasoning and how can I better evaluate a situation from all angles uh-huh. to avoid coming to conclusions solely based on emotion. Okay, fallacy of change. Your homework is to change yourself and improve yourself <laughs> in one way this week. Just one little way. Go for a walk, go for a run, get an extra hour of sleep, tell someone you love them, hold the door open. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good. Just one small improvement. That's it. Instead of Waiting for the world to change, mm. as John Mayer says. Yep. And then for shoulds, your homework is to not say should, but instead to otherwise say, it would be nice if, yep. if I have time, I will, or if you have time, would you mind, or maybe even just practicing forgiveness and grace for other people if they don't meet your expectations. Yep. Sweet. So thank you for starting, enduring, uh, and or ending your week with us. Yep. Thank you. And we will see you for the next episode um, of the Cognitive Distortion series. And then following that will be the start of the Single Dating Engaged and Married series. So we're excited to see you then. Aloha. Aloha.